Welcome to the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You may attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-520-80640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Dottie B was recorded on November 30th, 2023. I'm so happy to see so many supportive faces that are here today. I'm going to focus just on that. Pretend I'm talking to just you. So, you know, um, my name's Dottie. I'm in Louisiana and I'm an adult child. I'm going to start with a feelings check and I want to cry. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'm, I feel happy. I feel honored. I feel extremely anxious and I feel very vulnerable um, and also trusting. Um, it, this gives me a new appreciation. I, ha I have asked hundreds of speakers to come forward and speak, and this is really my first time to do it with this many people. I've spoken in smaller groups, but I finally finished my 12 steps, and so that puts me where I'm supposed to be. Um, I'm reminding myself that my job is to suit up and show up and the results are in my higher powers hands. Um, so thank you all for being here today. It means a lot. So I've got some little sticky notes. I'm not staring down at the notebook. So I'm gonna put some of those off as I go along. We'll see how it goes. So first of all, I will have been in ACA uh, five years on December 3rd. Um, and when I say I just finished my steps, um, I've started them many, many times and either the group fell apart or didn't work out, things were going on. And over the last three years, I've worked with a small group and we finally finished the steps. Last week, we went very gently. We took lots of gentleness breaks. We discussed the things that needed to be discussed. And I just started with a new group of um, women that are just starting their steps. and. And the plan is to treat it the same way. There's, there's no wrong way to do this recovery. You know, that we talk about, it's like putting together a puzzle. Um, this is your recovery journey. There's no wrong way to do it. And I've learned so much by doing my steps slow and I'm looking forward to doing them again. It's a lifelong thing. Um, let's see. Um, I wanted to mention that speaker meetings are my passion. It's a big part of my recovery especially in the beginning, you know, I travel a lot and I'm, I'm the type I needed to hear that whole story. You know, one of the first speakers I heard was talking about drowning her alcoholic in a tub and she had to stop herself. And now she's a speaker on a panel. I'm like, I got to know how that happened. And then it gave me a lot of hope because I'm like, okay, my life's not that bad. And if, if it works for them, maybe it'll work for me. And if you're uh those speakers, it's Al-Anon, AA, and ACA. Um, and if you know the speaker, I'm not going to say the name. You'll you're familiar. You'll be familiar with the story. But I'm like, I needed to hear that whole story. I always thought I was a lot further along in recovery than I was. And when I started hearing the progress that people make, I'm like, gosh, I'm still living in chaos. Like, there's, I'm not as far along as I thought I was. And it took me to hear those speakers to, to really realize that speakers. Those sticky notes down. Let's see. So I plan to share my experience, strength, and hope, like what it was like 
what finally got me into ACA and what it is, what it's like now. So we'll just see how it turns out. So here we go. I'm trying to remind myself to take some breaths. Um, first, I'm one of six children. Uh, we lived in poverty. We moved a lot. Um, and my parents are not alcoholics. High inside, I learned that both of my parents were just ACAers themselves and just didn't know it. Didn't They didn't have a program. And they were just living in survival mode um, constantly. Um, I was pretty much raised by my older two siblings um, that were three and five years older than me, but they were just kids themselves. Um, for example, you know, I've heard someone use this example and it happened to me, it was pulling out a board game. If it said eight years and older and I was five or six, um, they would just say, you're too dumb to play this. And I took that with me that I was just not smart enough. Whereas adulting wise, it would be this game is above your knowledge. Let's choose a game that's younger. But they didn't know that. They were just kids themselves. Um, they, it also kicked in this determination, being a middle child, I was gonna do above and beyond to keep up with these two siblings that were older and more advanced than me. And it gave me this drive and control to to want to meet up to what they were capable of doing. So I had a higher expectation for myself, often falling very short, and it left me feeling just really not good enough because um, I, I just could not compete. Um, I know through working my program that my parents and my siblings did the best they could with what they had to work with. All right, so now to kind of briefly tell you about my parents. <clears throat> my mom was from Mississippi. She was a poor librarian. She was raised by an older mom. Her dad was not in the picture, probably an alcoholic. Um, she lived part of her teenage and young adult life in a convent and planned on becoming a nun when she grew up. And that brought in a lot of religious abuse into our family. Um, not in a bad way, but in that's that's all she knew is all she had. Um, eventually, she moved in with her older sister who lived in Virginia. Now, my dad was born in Hong Kong. His father was American. His mother was Portuguese, and they um, met and married right before World War Two, I think it is. But they were separated during wartime, um, and he never came back home. And there were three. My father had two siblings. They thought he died. Uh, they found out later that he just never returned to the family because of the circumstances. Restarted another family in America and, and became an alcoholic. And he had died before my dad came to the States and found this out. But when my dad was 21, he came to America to claim his U.S. citizenship, joined the Navy, and they stationed him in Virginia, which is where he met his mom. So they met, uh, got married six months later, lived the military life of moving every two years. Um, every port they went to, they had a child. So I have a brother from Hawaii. My sister and I are from Virginia. I have another brother from Portugal. And then the last two came or came from, they were born in Louisiana where they ended up uh, putting their roots. Um, but four, four kids later, before the last two came along, um, 
my dad became a diabetic and got an honorable discharge from the Navy. Well, he didn't have any other skills. And this started our poverty and our poor living because they tried lots of other things, beauty school, and everything just flopped. Um, they had no management skills. My mom didn't work outside the home. And when she did, she paid more for babysitter than she did for her job. So this led us to a lot of moving. Like we moved, we were already used to moving every two years, but now we moved for different reasons. You know, hindsight, I know it's because they were running from their bills. Um, they just, they, my dad job hopped. He couldn't seem to keep a job. Um, and we lived on a wing and a prayer. I say that a lot because there was a lot of praying going on. There was just no plan of action. Um, so they, they truly were ACAers that just lived in survival mode. Um, I, I remember in third grade, I went to three different schools. I mean, that's how often we moved. They ended up having two more children. Um, and it goes where I was saying they're truly ACAers. All right. They did the best they could with what they had. There was lots of love, but there was also lots of codependency, um, which was mistaken for love. My older brother and sister would work and hand over their paychecks because they just couldn't pay the bills. We did every get rich quick thing that's out there from um, raising uh, registered dogs, puppies, trying to sell them and make them, that didn't work. It just brought us lots of fleas to our house. Um, Amway, they were real big in Amway and, you know, get rich on soap. You know, there's a every quick get rich quick thing out there they tried and, and of course it didn't work. There wasn't a lot of physical abuse, although my dad would get angry and fuss. But there was a lot of emotional abuse. They were just never there. You know, I remember in school when we would draw our our little Thanksgiving hand that looked like a turkey and put it on the desk because that night it was parents night. I just didn't put any effort into it because I knew my parents wouldn't show up. Um, we had one car. My dad would be at work. My mom couldn't drive. I, I just knew that they, they were just not there. So there was a lot of neglect. And I learned through the program that there's there's a lot of emotion that emotional abuse can be just as harmful as physical abuse. And it goes often unseen because the you don't have the bruises to show it. Um, so I grew up with not many rules, um, except we had to go to church every Sunday. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know why in, in my adulthood, I would have people ask me, why do I do that? And I'm like, I don't know. My mom told me to. And if we didn't, she'd cry. And then we felt guilty. And then we did it anyway. Um, it was just traditions. But there was a lot of neglect. I often say I had to yell to be heard because there was with that many people in the house it was easy to go unnoticed so I became that loud annoying child that would scream to be heard and eventually um as I said you know I just kind of felt fell short with the with the older kids and then I just stopped trying and became very rebellious in my teen years and became the scapegoat of the family um typical middle children um wasn't good enough to keep up with the big kids, but not young enough to be as cute as the little kids. So it's, I really felt that middle child syndrome, the scapegoat. So moving on, when I was 15, guess what happened? I met a boy. He told me I was beautiful. I fell in love and I got pregnant. Um, how could that not happen? 
And when we told um, my parents, my dad called me a slut and tried to beat up the boyfriend. And it became one of the worst days of my life. And when I when I look back and when I worked on it in my steps, it couldn't have turned out any differently. Looking when I really did my family diagram and the it could not have turned out any differently. Um, without having attention and finally getting attention, it's just natural. It's the natural steps to happen. Um, there wasn't a lot of parenting skills to be able to deal with that kind of stuff. I remember hearing my parents say um, they couldn't afford to feed another child. So, you know what the answer was to this 15 year old and 19 year old dude was to get married. You know, that's the answer to everything. And we had um, we had big dreams, you know, we were going to um, do everything right, do everything our parents did wrong, um, live the big dream. It was one of the happiest moments in my life because I got to leave the drama um, when I when I did some loving parent work, the attitude of that 15 year old became a loving parent voice that I hear because she was so optimistic and had big dreams and just she is my loving parent voice of course it didn't last very long I'm talking about the attitude um we did stay married for 20 years and that was a that was a long codependent dysfunctional marriage we were just two ACAers living in survival mode uh sound familiar yeah that's that's just all we knew that's all we knew how to do um so what got me into ACA, moving right along. So not all the 20 years was bad. The first 10 years, you know, we grew up together. You know, we, we got an education. I was able to go to college because my dad had uh, veteran benefits. Um, I'm very grateful, very grateful for that. Um, but we grew up and we made rules and we became very controlling, bullying parents. Um, and everything went fine as long as everyone followed the rules, including me, you know, and if if I didn't follow the rules or as my children became teenagers who were not going to follow the rules. Um, just the shit hit the fan and we had no communication skills. We had no coping mechanisms. It was it's my rules uh, or or hit the road, you know, that kind of thing. I remember at one point in time where we had a lot of land and I kept saying, oh, we'll just buy little houses and put all the little kids around, around us. I want to keep them here. And I was told, oh no, when these kids leave this house, they're never coming home. And I just thought of those movies of where you know, the kids are standing at the door with it raining saying, I need a place to live. And the mom's peeking over the big burly dad. And he's like, no, you can't stay here. And it just gave me such fear. It's like, you know, don't, don't make me choose between my kids and you because you know I love my kids I want to do right by them I didn't know how to but I knew that that I that wouldn't be me so long story short 20 years later two-story house a pool college education four kids a dog two cats and a turtle I was 35 years old and I was miserable um, I felt all I had left to do was die you know there was nothing else to do we do, 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 do. And then, but there was no bulk to it. There was no purpose. There was just, I was just miserable. And then one day I just, I, I just left. I just walked out. Um, ugly divorce, 
it was horrible. The kids got caught in the middle. Um, there was a lot of damage that was done. Um, one of the hardest things that I ever had to do. And this started a downward spiral for me um, of all of my laundry list traits, which I didn't know what that meant yet, but hindsight, I know that's what it was. I made a lot of bad choices, um, including a second marriage that was only three years, should have never happened. I caused a lot of damage with the relationship with my kids and other people in my life that I care for. Um, and, and all of this landed me into an eight year long toxic relationship with an addict. And this all happened in a course of 10 years, I'd say seven years ish. So while I was in this relationship with this addict, you know, good looking, charming, but he's an addict. And it just made my life crazy. If it could, if, if it could get any crazier, this was it. It was crazy. We had different definitions to the word honesty and trust and and commitment and it just made me crazy because i wanted to change this person and one day one of my friends said you're such an enabler and i was like what does that mean you know i'm, a, I'm one of the strongest women i know i'm own house i have my own car i have a job how can you call me an enabler it sounded so weak so i went home and i googled the word enabler and what popped up was al-anon and I had never heard of it. I had no idea what it was. And then I was confused because he wasn't an alcoholic. He just he just did a little drugs on the side. So after I did a few drive-bys, because I think we all do that, I drive by and scope out the place, several different places, see who's in there. I finally stopped after about five drive-bys and I went to my first Al-Anon meeting. And I did say, I remember my first meeting, I had on a pink hoodie and had my hood on and I sat in the corner and I just kind of covered up hoping nobody would see me. There's probably like 15 people there and everyone shared. Um, and it was now I know, you know, it's all about me, the newcomer, but you know, I'm just listening to their stories. And at the end they said, um, do, do you want to share? And I was like, Oh no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not going to say words. And I, I do remember saying that I don't know if I belong here because he's not an alcoholic. You know, he just does some drugs. And someone there said, don't let the word alcohol confuse you. An addiction is an addiction is an addiction. It's not the drug of choice you're dealing with. It's the behavior of an addict that you're dealing with. So I knew I was in the right place. The other thing they said to me was that, um, that I could love an addict. I didn't have to leave them, which is what everyone else was telling me. It's what I was telling me. I just didn't know how to. I kept getting drawn back. I'd get sucked right back in. We broke up 50 times in, in eight years. And for one week, I would do fine. And that second week, I'm crawling at my skin. And by the third week, I'm you know scratching my eyeballs out and calling them, please come save me. And we'd get back together. It just, it was a cycle that happened all the time. So Alan told me I can love an addict. Just, I gotta let him do what he does. And I gotta learn how to take care of myself. And that, that really saved my life because I had no idea how to take care of myself. I was so busy taking care of somebody else my entire life. I had no idea how to take care of Dottie. So they showed me how going to meetings and listening to what they say and what they did and how to handle an addict um, that I have a person that I have no control over instead of 
me acting crazy trying to manipulate or control someone else's behavior i just had to let them do what they had to do stop asking the questions that i didn't want the answers to and during this whole process i joined aa to win an argument um we would argue and i'd say you're a pothead and he'd say you're an alcoholic so by golly i quit drinking so i could win that argument and i'm now five years sober with aa um and someone told me it's like whatever gets you there it doesn't matter whatever gets you there there was still just something missing there was just something missing i could not for an intelligent person independent paid my own bills why did i stick with this relationship well after two years in al-anon i worked my steps with al-anon with a sponsor um had a good rapport of people a long-term member of aa and al-anon his name was danny May rest in peace. Well, it brings me tears because he was, he changed my life. He showed me the laundry list traits and I read it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is me. But I was like, I was so confused because I'm like, but my parents are alcoholics. And he said the same thing the other group said, don't let the word alcohol confuse you. He says, if you can relate to these laundry list traits, come to, just try a meeting. If you don't like it, don't stay. So I tried it. Study. Thank you so much, Gretchen. So I I tried it, um, and I found my tribe. You know, we all came from different backgrounds, but the traits were the same. It was it was still um, like for me, it was not being able to leave a relationship because fear of abandonment, the reacting instead of acting. Um, there were so many that stood out. It was like the traits were the same. I finally found my tribe. So I'm going to go into what recovery looks like for me today. Let's make sure I didn't skip anything there. All right. So first of all, I started to create a world that didn't have a him in it. I had my Al-Anon people, my AA people, and then my ACA family started to grow. And one of the last, the last argument we had was, he, he said, you act like you're better off without me. And it was like a light bulb went off. I'm like, oh my God, I am better off without you. It was just like, oh, thanks for telling me this. I didn't figure it out because love and codependency kept coming in the way. They had nothing to do with it. It was just, I'm better off without you. And the difference is I had a world to go to with people that were practicing the same program that I was that was speaking the same language that I was that that wasn't coping using coping mechanisms like addictions to deal to deal with life. It's, and I had that world to go to when that last breakup happened. Um, so I was able to finally leave that relationship. Um, and it really I relate to number 12 the most holding on to relationship in order not to feel abandoned. I had no idea that that's what I was doing. Um, the second part is um, the feelings wheel. Someone in my step study introduced the feelings wheel. I use it at all my meetings now. Um, when I first got to ACA, I had two feelings. I was I was either numb or I was full of rage. There was nothing in between. Either I felt absolutely nothing at all, or I could scratch your eyeballs out. And what I learned with a feelings wheel and check in and really looking at what 
what these words are and what their definitions are, I really started to recognize that there's so many feelings I feel in between going from numb to rage that I can actually talk about and express and acknowledge that I have. And it's helped so much with communication. Right, right now, my son and his son is, are living with me. Well, they, they pay rent, they, so, but we live together. Um, and there are so many things that came up and at, our communication was so much better. One day, I was just feeling overwhelmed with whatever was going on. And he turned to me, he's like, are you okay? And how many times would I, nothing, I'm fine. You know, just, just like we all do. And I was able to, I had just did a feelings check in with a fellow traveler and I'm like, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling like I'm not being heard. And, and then we were able, it started a conversation where we were able to communicate with each other. And it's something I've never done with my children that, and it's only continues to get better. Once I determine how I feel and acknowledge how I feel, it helps me to communicate with other people. All right. And the third thing, and I've got five. I think I should have enough time. Okay, so the third thing was finding my inner children. So when I first got to ACA and they were talking about inner children, loving parent, I'm like, these people are crazy. I have no idea what they're talking about. And as I read and got along, I started to, it's, it's these voices that I have in my head and how I talk to myself. And finding my inner children, I, I went to, I listened to a workshop. It was on the WSO convention recordings. And I had listened to it in this different in this workshop, they had me sit down in front of a TV like in my head and with a journal at my side and to visualize that I was sitting down with myself today in the TV screen and journal how I felt. And it, like me today, I'm like, I felt disappointed. Um, I could have done better, you know, whatever that is, you know, how I felt. And then it was now visualize the person, the TV screen myself to be 10 years younger and then journal how I felt, and then 10 years younger, and journal how I felt. And by the time I finished, I was down to the five-year-old me, and I just had, see, I want to tear up. I had so much compassion for the different versions of myself and everything that I went through to get to where I'm at. And I started to name these characters, these Dotties, these different versions. You know, like I have an adult Dottie that's me today, she needs lots of talking to sometimes. I have my divorce Dottie, who was my 35 to 45, and the, the bad choices that were going on. I have my super mom Dottie from 25 to 35 that was balancing four kids and a job and paying bills. I have my 19-year-old teen who does not want a name. Um, she is where all my rage comes from and all my anger and is very verbal about it. I have my 10 year old Dottie who is playful. She's very insecure. She has a lot of body shame. And I have my little Dottie who's the little innocent five year old who used to play with Avon bottles in front of the mirror. And her best friend was that image that she had in the mirror. And I spent hours doing that, but just that innocence and, um, so far, that's all that's come up for me. But there's different, you know, not all of that happened at one time. It was like, as I went along, I'm like, there was, I always thought it was just kids. And then one day I'm like, oh, I have a super mom who was controlling and wants to control everything. And then I realized I have, I have a today Dottie that sometimes needs to be talked to as well. Like before this meeting, when I said, 
Remember, your job is to suit up and show up. However, the results come out is not in your control. That's higher powers control. I need to give those talks to myself. So that was uh, inner child. And then um, number four was loving parent. Um, I came across these loving parent check-in practice meetings they had before they came out with a loving parent guidebook, which I think is the same thing. I haven't quite, I haven't done it yet. I just started it. But in this meeting, um, first it was the feelings wheel, not acknowledging how you feel and what that sensation feels like in your body. And I remember hearing, and we used to have like 80 people at these meetings. I would just come and be a bug on the wall, wall and listen. And I remember one time someone says, well, I'm feeling anxious or my, my chest is tight. Uh, my heart rate is up. My face is flush. I'm hyper vigilant with everything that's going on around me. I'm feeling anxious. And I'm like, oh my God, that's what anxious feels like. You know, I used to think I'm never anxious. I can do anything, you know, super mom. And then when I, when the description was given to me, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like that all the time. And I started to realize the definitions of the words is like, I feel anxious. And another definition, I'll just mention it here was like love, love was you give everything off your back. You give your whole soul to a person. And I started to realize that is not the definition of love. That's the definition of codependence. And love is mutual respect and encouragement of each other. And there's a definition in the big red book and I did not write it down. But when I read the definition, I'm like, that's not the definition of love that I had. Anyway, moving back to the loving parent check-in. Well, after depending, uh, figuring out how you feel, it was what part of you needs attention. And that's where the inner children came in. And my angry 19-year-old came up a lot, a lot, a lot. And then it was, what can you say to that part of you? And I had no idea what that meant, but I'm in a meeting with 80 people. I got to listen to how 80 people talk to their inner children with that loving parent voice. And I just, I took notes galore because I'm like, I had no idea that you could talk to yourself like this. And the validation I had no idea how to validate a feeling, you know, I, you know, and hearing like for today, for example, I know you feel a lot of pressure. I know you're so excited. I know you're very nervous. You're afraid you're going to make a mistake. But you know what? It's okay to make a mistake. You can come here and make mistakes and it's still going to turn out okay. It's going to turn out exactly the way it's supposed to. I'm so proud of you. I have a little note written on the side right here that says, I'm so proud of you, Dottie. And it's that loving parent voice started to create itself. It's not perfect but it's there now to me my loving parents kind of like a little tinkerbell and i i remember when i first started to practice it i had to go do something i did not want to do and i just woke up and i was brushing my hair and i'm like just mean and my angry teenagers and i was looking in the mirror at myself and my angry teenagers like well where's that loving parent now huh and i had to stop and kind of laugh and i'm like you know what you're right so it was like this little tinkerbell comes up and he's like okay what are you feeling why are you feeling this way? What needs attention? And I, and I realized I was feeling angry because I had to go do something that I didn't want to do. And then what my loving parent ended up saying to me was, sometimes we have to do things that we don't want to do, but I can set a boundary. We're only going to stay one hour. I'll even, when we get there, I'll set the alarm on my clock. 
We're, we'll go and do what we need to do. We'll be there for one hour and then we will leave. And then I think I did a prize for myself after Taco Bell, I don't know, after we were done. But it was, and that took away that aura of me wanting to brush the heck out of my hair because I realized that that's just how it all fit together. And I went and I did what I needed to do and then rewarded myself after I left at my boundary time and, and, and I went on with my day. So my loving parent is like a little Tinkerbell. And then lastly, to close up, um, service, uh, recovery is, is service. When 2020 hit and all these meetings went on virtual meetings, I had no idea what Zoom meetings were. I'd never heard of it before. And someone said, oh, let's just meet on Zoom. And I had to be handheld and walk through it. And now it is such a big part of my life. And service, I remember way in the beginning, someone says, you just need to do service. I had no idea what that meant. What does it mean to do service? It's as simple as showing up to the meetings, um, doing service on help letting people into the room, reading the readings. Later, it's finding speakers that show up, collecting phone numbers that are doing shares and maybe asking them to be involved with this. And now with this group, um, we have such a, uh, growing service team that comes up and it could not have been planned you know it was just me and gretchen and jen after the other team had left and how that came about i've got a few minutes um i was with another group and it was very it was right when the COVID stuff happened and it was small and it was growing and i said hey let's start a speaker meeting because i'm passionate about speakers so i started a speaker meeting on saturday nights and it grew and grew and grew and then i got kicked out and I was one hot mess, let me tell you. And uh, but I had this list of people that I've been asking to come and speak at meetings. So I called one of them and she she was busy, but she called me back and I'm like, let me tell you what she did. She did. She did. And she listened to me for the hour. And at the end, now, had I called my sister, my sister would have been you should be angry and resentful and pay her back and because that's all part of the family dysfunction that was what we were taught but talking to this fellow traveler she says i'm so sorry that happened to you there's a season for everything and your season with this is over what do you need to do to heal from this and i just kind of like stared at the phone like what did she just say and i'm like huh and it was so i sat down and i journaled and i asked each inner child what do you need to do to heal from this and my five-year-old wanted bubbles. My 10-year-old wanted Rice Krispie treats. My 19-year-old was like, I'm not, I use my non-dominant hand to ask because what it does, it slows my brain down. My 19-year-old was like, I'm not writing with a non-dominant hand. I am pissed off. And she wrote two pages full of what she had to say. But she was like, I, I deserve to have a voice. Stop shutting me up with food. Let me speak about my anger. And my adult self just wanted prayers and sleep in a in a hot bubble bath. And then when I was done, I made like a little list and I went and got some bubbles and I went and got some Rice Krispie treats and I took a hot bath and I prayed about it, which I had not done. And I got a good night's sleep. And when the time was right, I was able to show up at a, a business meeting and have a voice and how I felt it happened. And then I left because it wasn't to try to fix anything. I just wanted to have a voice. And my 19 year old was so proud. She was like, yes, I got to be her. And then I just let it rest. I took a six month 
just I only went to my home group. I just took a break. My brain just needed a break. And then this meeting was ending. And Gretchen, Jen came to this meeting a lot and Gretchen and Jen got together and they contacted me and they said, hey, how do you feel about doing speaker meetings again? And I'm like, um, let me think about it. Cause I'm like, that's a lot of work. And I thought about it and I, I talked to some fellow travelers and I'm like, this is really where my passion is. So I got back in touch with Gretchen and I'm like, let's do this. Let's see where it goes. And I started calling all the speakers that were at the other meeting and they all came in. So we filled up the schedule two months easy and then we brought in some other people and um everyone's been bringing in speakers themselves td's brought in a lot and michelle and m and renee everyone's been such a big part of this group terry keeps us on schedule and it's just grown and grown and this past year i went to a retreat and met i got to meet face to face all a lot of people that i've been seeing online i'm like that's i'm gonna start a little banner on my wall of each time i meet a fellow fellow traveler to take a picture and and Put it up on the wall um that is just that's my joy that's my joy and it definitely goes on my gratitude list um let's see i think that might be about it um again i'm so glad y'all are here if you're interested in service you just want to have if you have more questions get in touch with one of us that i named and we'll we'll get you on the right path and where to go. And I also wanted to mention Crystal. Crystal does our emails. She may be behind the scenes and Celia who does our our uh, accounting and blank or, you know, treasurer. I hope I didn't miss anybody. And I see all these faces. Thanks so much. That's all I got and I will pass. <laughs>